planet, planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon-dust-sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With Space Croutons. Greetings, dear listeners. This is Curdy Clammerwood, your host for Space Croutons, the podcast that invites you, our audience, to submit your experiences and those of others you may know. The only requirement being that these experiences be of the unusual and unexplained variety. Once again, we are coming to you from our faithful old mobile studio, Van Helsing. And I am, of course, here with our faithful new AI assistant. What is Sally? Hello, Cordy and our old and new faithful listeners. Well, hello, Sally. It's great to be back with another great podcast of... What is Space Croutons? Well, that's right, and you are... What is preparing to be the next AI Grand Champion on Jeopardy? Oh, yeah. I seem to recall that a computer won on Jeopardy a while back. Who is Watson in 2011? And I must say that he is a hunk, Alex Cordy. Well, it sounds like you might have a little crush on Watson, Sally. What is he could daily my double any time he wants, Alex Cordy? Well, it's like my dad used to say. There are no stupid questions, just stupid people who ask questions. Anyway, it's time for a word from another terrific independent musician sponsor. Who are Cord and Roy with their song, This I Know? So down I go. Look out below, I'm falling fast. In love out of control, I can't explain. From where it came, but I need you so. And this I know. And this feeling never hit me quite like this before I never expected that it could And now I'm sprawling flat out on the floor And it hurts so good, yeah it hurts so good Now my life's a chain of moments made of when I'm here with you And I think I like it Given into dreaming and there's nothing I can do because I like it. Mm-hmm. So strong, I just can't hide it. So right, it can't be wrong. So just in case you're wondering, just listen to my song. So down I go. Look out below, I'm falling fast. 
Great song, boys! Now, as we've been presenting stories, we've also been asking you to let us know if you have any ideas or theories about what is happening. And we just happen to have a theory sent to us by Melvin, who is pretty sure he has figured it all out. So, take a listen to Melvin's theory. You can call me Melvin, although that's not my name. You don't need to know my name, but you do need to listen to what I've got to say. You have been presenting stories on your show for a while now and asking us, your audience, to listen to the evidence and tell you what we think is happening. Well, I have been listening, but I'm not going to tell you what I think is happening. I'm going to tell you what I know is happening. First of all, these people who sent you accounts of what they experienced, they ain't crazy. And I should know. People have called me crazy for most of my life. But I will have you know I've been tested over two dozen times over the years, and I pass these stupid tests with flying colors most of the time. And when I didn't, it was because they cheated, just so they could put me away. Well, that's okay, because I got smarter too and learned to play their game. So now here I am. And as long as I keep moving just like you're doing, they can't touch me. Now, as to your stories, well, it's pretty obvious what's going on. The politicians and the billionaires and the stupid celebrities who've gotten famous for no other reason than they got on TV, well, they're in cahoots with... Wait for it. Aliens. And I'm not talking about any of that Area 51 garbage. That is a hoax to keep us from seeing all the real things that prove what I'm saying with 100% certainty. Beings appearing and disappearing. Objects with powers, secret benefactors, and cryptic symbols are all real. How do I know? Because science, it proves everything. That's why it's science. It wasn't that long ago we were sure the world was flat, but what proved that it was round? That's right, science. Curdy, you gotta keep up the good work. Bring the truth to the people. It's the only way to stop the people in power from creating a new world where people are controlled by their TVs and they just let the powerful get more powerful until they don't need us peons anymore. And I just want to let you know that you can count on me when things get rough. I will be listening for and decoding your secret messages in preparation for the good fight that you and I know is coming soon. Hey, I better get off the line. They can tap us with a flip of a switch. Just know, comrade, you can count on me. The moment of light is coming, and until then, I am your most loyal listener. How about that? Well, thanks, Melvin. It certainly is something to ponder. All right, then, Sally, it's time for the main attraction. What is today's story, Alex Cordy? Well, that's right, Sally. Uh, Ms. Susie Farnell submitted the following article about her experience while working as a social scene reporter for the Eagle Rock Weekly. I'll present the article she submitted, Partying in Eagle Rock, just as it appeared in the paper. Let's go back and see what was happening in December 1989. 
What is? Americans were talking about the end of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. The showing of the I Love Lucy Christmas episode for the first time in 30 years, and the poor spelling skills of Vice President Quayle. On the radio you were listening to Phil Collins sing Another Day in Paradise, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel, while Linda Ronstadt and Aaron Neville Whale don't know much. Your milk and cookies cost you about $4.60 and you could get a gallon of gas for $1.12. If you are old enough to remember what you were doing in 1989, I'd say you are old. Enough. Enough of that, Sally. Here is the article from the Eagle Rock Weekly Flyer, Volume 1989, Issue 50. Item, Eagle Rock Community Christmas Party Report. Susie Farnell reporting. Last evening, the annual Christmas party for the community of Eagle Rock, Iowa, was held at the Eagle Rock Community Center, adjacent to the new baseball field next to Ray Kay's farm. While we are all aware of the controversy surrounding the supernatural events that occurred there earlier this year, that is not the subject of this report. See issue number 32 for details. The center was decked out in its Christmas finery with strands of greenery looping over the doorways and around the walls punctuated by 88 eagle-shaped ornaments in honor of the 88th year of our town's existence. Mistletoe was not in use this year due to the unfortunate mishap of last year's party, but plenty of colorful lights were gleaming amongst the greenery. Centerpieces on the tables were a lovely blend of poinsettias, white roses, greenery, and candles emitting a subtle balsam scent. All of the decorations were provided by May's Blooming Idiots, found at 188 Main Street in Eagle Rock. The food for the occasion was superlative. The local High V Deli provided three varieties of soup, a lovely creamy corn chowder, a hearty chili, and a light chicken noodle. Desserts, crackers, and soft drinks were provided by the ladies' leagues from the area churches, with Mrs. Natalie Brooks spearheading and organizing their efforts. Eagle Rock's own Baldman Jazz Trio playing a pleasing mix of Christmas carols and standards. Mayor Kilpack wishes to express her gratitude to all who contributed to the successful evening. As customary for the town's Christmas party, participants were asked to bring a white elephant gift for the gift exchange. The assembled group consisted of 52 convivial, hardy souls who braved the snowy weather and downright cold temperatures of negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, bearing their uniquely interesting gifts, each one hoping to be declared winner of the most compelling gift, a rather dubious honor bestowed in the form of a tacky plastic trophy. Mayor Kilpack suggested breaking into suits of 13 people each to facilitate a more timely gift exchange with the four groups being formed by passing around a deck of cards in that way, dividing the group randomly based on what suit was drawn. Once each person drew a card, your group was decided. Highly valued numbers were the ace of each suit, followed by the two, three, and four. Reasoning that the ace receives the first pick, but also the last chance to steal any gift once all the presents were unveiled, and the lower numbers of each suit being able to see more of the choices, and thereby having a better selection than the higher numbers. Clubs, hearts, spades, and diamonds were each assigned to a corner of the room, and the game began. As recorder for the event, I surveyed the room, moving from circle to circle to observe the action. It was in the diamond group where an unexpected phenomenon occurred. 
The person holding the Ten of Diamonds unwrapped a box covered in a silvery paper bearing white snowflakes. Inside was found a most unusual gift, an actual white elephant made of carved wood painted in an ivory color with a clock inserted into the belly of the elephant. The face of the clock was navy blue, and instead of numbers for the hour marks on the face of the clock, there were symbols that in no way gave hint to the numbers they were to represent. The symbols were made to look like constellations against a night sky. Once unwrapped, the elephant spat out a slender piece of paper from its mouth with writing on it. The first slip of paper read, I am not meant for you. Do not become attached to me. A quick caucus of the diamond group and the rule relating to freezing a gift after three steals was suspended as each person in the group wanted to know what the white elephant would say when held in his or her hands. It was soon apparent that the elephant was some kind of demented fortune cookie, as its paper pronouncements were often comically accurate depending on the current holder of the item. The mayor's secretary, known to wear a cardigan year-round, Mrs. Ingrid Winterbottom, received a note saying, Put me down. Your hands are too cold. Dr. Michael Walker's communication from the elephant said, Watch it, Doc. I don't have a prostate, so you don't need to examine me there. Next, our beloved volunteer fire chief read out his fortune. We will just burn that bridge when we come to it. This fortune was followed by, Perhaps you shouldn't look a gift elephant in the mouth, given to, you may have already guessed it, our one and only town dentist, Dr. Ringer. Someone had gone to great lengths to inject some fun into the evening with this white elephant, or so we thought until the most bizarre thing happened. The fortunes coming from the gift took a decidedly uncomfortable turn. The next person to touch the elephant was our bank president, Harold Richer. The comment he received was, You've already stolen a fortune from your neighbors. You don't need one of mine. Everyone was rolling in their chairs, thinking how clever the elephant was. Everyone except Harold, who had turned a shade more closely resembling the evergreen hangings around the room than his natural ruddy face. Mr. Richard shoved the statue into the hands of the woman seated next to him in the circle, Lucy Mudgett, who tried to quickly hand it off, causing the slip of paper with the writing on it to fall to the floor. A brief struggle ensued between Mrs. Mudgett and her neighbor, Hannah Yoder. Mrs. Yoder managed to collect the slip from the floor and read it aloud. Please don't kill me like you did your first husband back in Grand Rapids. Suddenly, the room fell completely silent, except for a haunting saxophone solo coming from the Baldman trio. The pleasing balsam-scented candles suddenly seemed much more pungently aggressive. Mrs. Yoder bravely picked up the elephant from the floor beside her folding chair, obviously not wanting anyone to think the previous fortune had been meant for her. The fortune she received was simply this. Now there is an elephant in the room. People in the circle began actively shoving the pachyderm statue away from each other until somehow it fell to the floor, shattering into thousands of tiny pieces. Someone swept up the pieces as murmurs of good riddance was heard. Gameplay resumed until the very next gift selected from a silver foil gift bag was an ivory-colored elephant with a clock in its tummy. A fortune trickled from its mouth and hung suspended in the air. The people in the diamond group in one accord quickly gathered their gifts, their hats, gloves, and coats, clearing the hall immediately, leaving the elephant and the last fortune on the floor. 
The other circles in the room, spades, clubs, and hearts, finished up the gift exchange, leaving only Mrs. Brooks and her cleanup committee to restore the community center to order. May from Blooming Idiots gave the decorations to the cleanup committee. While the events of this Christmas party were far from normal, we citizens of Eagle Rock are not strangers to the unusual. We are descended from hardy, pioneer stock who carved communities from the wilderness regardless of the blistering heat and bitter cold. We are not phased by adversity or good fortune. We expect both and endure them equally with good grace. Wishing you a Merry Christmas and a most blessed New Year from your Eagle Rock Weekly. That is the end of the newspaper article, but Miss Farnell included a handwritten note along with her submission. Dear Mr. Clammerwood, It has been just over thirty years since that Christmas party, and the white elephant sits high on a shelf in my closet. I took it home with me after the party, and though I question each person who attended the party, no one admitted to bringing this gift. After much public outcry, Mr. Richard's bank was audited in 1990, and he was found to be an embezzler. Even though the evidence was slight, after all, you wouldn't expect a court of law to take the word of an inanimate object, Mrs. Mudgett's first husband was exhumed, and it was determined that he had been poisoned. If you are wondering about the final fortune, it says, This will change life as we know it. I'm not sure just who that fortune was meant for, but life certainly changed dramatically for Harold and Lucy. I have never had the courage to handle the elephant statue with my bare hands, but I cannot bring myself to get rid of it. It may not be possible to destroy the thing, but I'm hoping you know what should be done with it and will advise me. Sincerely, Susie Farnell. And so it goes. What do you folks out there think about the elephant in the closet? What should she do with it? And just how do you explain the fortunes for the unfortunate partygoers? Here's hoping that someone out there has some answers to these and all the other questions we've posed so far on our show. Sally, any thoughts? I'll take all pachydermed and ready to go for $200, Alex Cordy. I bet you will, Sally. And we are ready to go too, folks. So goodbye to all of you out there. Thanks for listening and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. What is how we say goodbye on Space Croutons? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic robot automatic moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. In the sky With Neil Diamond Lucy in the sky I love Neil Diamond Lucy in the sky No, not Neil Diamond With Space Croutons Space Croutons is a work of original fiction Similarities to persons, situations, or events Real or fictional Is coincidental and unintentional Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson Episode 11 story by Della Recording and production by Jeff
Original music by Jeff, featuring the voice talents of Jackie Olson, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Goodwitch Audio production.